Happy Easter Bridge. How are we doing this morning? Woo! There is no other king like him. There is no other king. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's get into message time. How many of you have been, come on, be honest with me. How many of you have been following the giraffe cam? <laughs> oh, come on. Bunch of liars. You know you have. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard of in my life. This, those of you that don't know, in case there's somebody been living under a rock, <laughs> there, there's a giraffe in the petting zoo in New York City that was pregnant. And when they closed down for the winter months, they decided they'd put up a webcam so everybody could see this baby giraffe born, and it went viral. Millions of people have been watching this giraffe in a stall. Come on, have you seen it? I went on to see it, and it's like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giraffe standing in a stall. Big deal. But I mean, millions of they're posting possible names. Well, guess what? The baby was born last night, yesterday sometime. New baby, awesome stuff. What is the deal? You know what I think it is? I think there is something about new life that draws us in. Whether we're talking about a baby giraffe or we're talking about a new car or a new... Uh, baby, this is the newest baby of the Bridge Goldsboro family. Introduce you to little Noah this morning. Everybody say, hey, Noah. I mean, there's just something about new that brings uh, excitement to us all. I mean, some people even say that it's why a lot of people divorce because they get tired of, of the same old fights with the same old person in the same old house. And they just start saying, you know, if I had a new marriage, things would be different. They don't realize they bring the baggage of that one into the new one. But nevertheless, there is this sense that if I just had new, I would be okay. And that's all I want to share with you this morning is this idea of what is new like and how do we go about getting it. I realize on a day like this and a place like this, there are many of you that are here for an assortment of reasons. Some of you are here because it's your home and, and you're excited to be here. Some of you are in the early service because you're actually serving in the 11 o'clock service. Some of you are here because your wife told you that uh, she won't cook in lunch unless you came to church with her. I mean... <laughs> Maybe a stranger at Starbucks invited you. I don't know, but, uh, but lean in just a minute because here's what I want you to hear me say. Whatever reason you think you're here today, I believe you're here to hear me simply say there's a fresh start in your future if you want it. There's a fresh start in your future if you want it. And all I want to do in the few minutes we've got this morning is I want to give you the four simple keys to having a new life, a fresh start, a brand new beginning. Have you ever done a project where you got halfway through it and went, hmm, I wish I'd done that differently? You know, like a home remodeling project or something like that. Got halfway across it and went, ah, man, I wish I'd thought through that before I started. We've all been there, done that. Well, the message of Easter is you can have a fresh start. So let's get into it. Four simple keys. Let me load them out. In fact, you can go to the, to the Bible app and get the outline. You can follow along with me if you want to. Uh, you can get the manuscripts from bridgechurch.cc if you're interested. Here we go. Key number one, read it with me. I acknowledge my sin. I know we live in a time where we don't like to talk about sin. Let's just talk about God is love. And let's just talk about how wonderful everything is. But the reality is Romans 3.23, read it with me, one, two, three, go. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard. Look at somebody and say, everyone includes me. Just look at somebody, everyone includes me. Now look at somebody else and say, everyone includes you. Wasn't that more fun to say you than me? Isn't it more fun? But let's be honest, guys, we don't live up to our own standards, much less God's glorious standard. True? 
true? And from the youngest child to the oldest living person, let's just be honest, right up here in the house, I mess up, you mess up, all God's children mess up. Hello, are you awake? Why? Why? Why is that such a reality? Why is that such a common denominator? It's because we're all selfish by nature. Come on, preacher, be real. It's true. And that selfishness begins at the youngest age. How many have had kids? How many of you got kids? Some got kids? When, when your kids were, were little, when they were in the crib, some of them are still there. They're in the crib in the middle of the night, and, and the diaper's messy, and they're hungry. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. What do your kids do? Do they lay there quietly and think, you know, mom and dad are probably so tired. They work so hard. I'm just going to lay here till light and let them rest. Your kids do that? No, uh, that's not what my kids did. My kids screamed and screamed and screamed until Kim got up and took care of them. That's just... <laughs> what? I helped some, but you know why I didn't help more? Because I'm selfish. That's why. We are selfish by nature. And I'd like to say we outgrow that, but the fact is we don't. If I could take a picture of this crowd right now and put it up on the screen and say, okay, guys, is that a good picture? Guess how you would judge whether it was a good picture or not? You would look at yourself. That's the first thing you do. And if it's a good picture of you, it's a good picture. It doesn't matter if everybody else has spinach in their teeth. <laughs> Come on. If it's a good picture of you, it's a good picture. If it's a bad picture of you, it's a it's a bad picture. Why? Because we look through the lens of self at everything. Now, here's why that's so important. Every sin known to mankind, every sin known to mankind originates in selfishness. Why do I steal? Because I want something. Why do I lie? Because I want to deceive someone. Why do I covet? Because I want something you have. Go down the list. Every sin originates in a self-centered view of life. The question is not, do we all have sin? Because we've already established that you do. The guy next to you does. The guy talking to you does. The question is, how do we get in this mess? I mean, how do we get here? To answer that question fully, we've got to go back to the beginning. So let me just take you back to the beginning of time, beginning of human history, just for very quickly, and let's get a handle on it. Get a picture with me. God's created this amazing, idyllic garden, this beautiful place, flowing rivers run through it that waters the garden all year round. Gold in its purest form is available there. Uh, the Bible says there are precious gems just lying there for the picking up. Uh, and, and, and in the middle of that beautiful place, he created Adam in his own image so that he would have fellowship with a being that was created in his image. At the end of every day in the creation process, God said, it is good, it is good, it is good, until he created man and he said, it is not good. But what's not good about it? Genesis 2, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is right for him. So Adam, just picture it, Adam's been given a couple of assignments. 
he's, he's landscaping, he's taking care of the, the yards and the gardens and making them beautiful, and he's naming the animals. And so these animals have been walking past him one by one, and this long line of animals, and he's coming up with a name for every one of them. He's kind of working his way through the alphabet. That's an anteater, and that's an aardvark, and that's a, that's a, a bear, and that's a cat, and that's a dog, and you know, that's, that's a, a, just down the line, a baboon. He's getting near the end of the alphabet. He's kind of worn out by now, right? He's been doing this for how long? And God does Adam a solid. I mean, he really does him a solid. Genesis 22, 22 and 3, the Lord God used the rib from the man to make a woman, and then he brought the woman to the man, and the man said, now this is someone, picture this, this is Adam saying these words. You got the scene? He's been naming animals for however long. He's worked his way all the way through the alphabet. He's, toward the, he's at the W's now. He's exhausted with all these weird-looking creatures that have been passing by. And now God has brought him this woman, and he said, Now this is someone whose bones came from my bones, whose body came from my body. I will call her woman because she was taken out of the man. How many believe that that's the way Adam said it? Good for you. I can't imagine that's how he said it. If I were in Adam's shoes and I'd been naming these weird-looking animals for all this time and suddenly here is a naked woman. I didn't say naked. I said naked woman standing in front of me. I would not say, hmm, she's fashioned in bones similar to mine. Right? What would I say? I'd say, oh, she got bones like my bones. She, 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 she got flesh like my flesh, sort of, kind of, but not the same. I mean, I'm going to call her, whoa, man. <laughs> right? Now, here's the scene. So you got the scene, right? Here's the key verse. The key verse in the whole narrative is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Picture that setting beautiful setting, fellowshipping with God in an intimate level, nothing hidden from each other, no masks, no secrets, no agendas, no selfishness. They are absolutely intimate with one another and God in this beautiful setting. Life is good. Can I get an amen? So what went wrong? Enter the serpent. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals, for the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve said, Well, no, we can, we can eat anything we want. I mean, it's just one fruit we're not supposed to eat. God said we'd die if we did. And the devil lied to her. He said, You're not going to die. What? You're not going to die. The reason God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he knows that you will be like him if you do. So it's just a big ego trip on God's part to, to keep that away from you because he knows you're going to be like him when he does. And they bought the lie and they ate the cranapple. And the minute they did something precious, died. You see, they didn't become more like God in that moment. They became more like Satan, and selfishness entered the picture for the first time. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. This is not just, that's not just a, phys, a description of physical stuff, right? So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Innocence died. Selfishness replaced it. The loving, unselfish image of God in us was tarnished. And ever since then, every man and every woman ever born has struggled against our own selfishness. And the result is everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hear me. You cannot have new life until you're willing to take personal responsibility for your own personal selfishness. Just let that quietness slip across the room. The second key, it gets worse before it gets better. The second key is I have to recognize there's a penalty for my sin. I have to recognize there's a penalty for my sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that word wages mean? I mean, in, in real simple practical terms, what's a wage? It's that which you earn from the job that you do, right? If I interview for a new job, and, and in the course of that interview, it becomes apparent that the, this boss is going to hire me, at some point, this conversation is going to be about compensation, and the boss is eventually going to say something like, this job pays minimum wage. So what's he just said to me? First of all, he said, you're probably going to starve. That's the first thing he said. Second thing he said is that is you're going to give us one hour of your life and we're going to give you $7.25 in exchange for it. That's what he said, right? Your, your uh, efforts, what you do, creates a wage, and that wage replaces the life that you just laid out. So what's Paul saying in Romans 6.23? For every sin you've committed, you earn a wage. And what is that wage? It's death. The Greek word there is thanatos, that literally means the misery that always accompanies sin. The moment you sin, every time you sin, whether it's doing something you shouldn't have done or failing to do something you should have done, there is a death that is introduced. There, there is a, a selfishness that is introduced that begins a downward cycle until it is dealt with by the grace of God. We earn death. And ultimately, ultimately, there's an eternal death that we earn from our sin. Now, that may sound hard, but we all understand that at the end of the day. I mean, we live in a society that values justice, right? We don't always get it, but when we don't get it, we know something's wrong because we have this sensibility about us. It's not just an American thing. This is a universal thing. Kim and I have ministered on, on three continents, and we've seen it everywhere we go, that if somebody does the crime, somebody does the Time. That's just the way it works. There's always a sentence that is attached to a guilty verdict. And the sentence that is attached, the wage is that attached to our sin is death. Let me illustrate it this way. Because this can be, as simple as it sounds, can be very confusing to people these days. Imagine that on the way to church this morning, a police officer stopped me because I was speeding. Let's just say I was running a little bit late and I was pushing a little bit hard and Goldsboro cops stopped me. That didn't happen, so don't worry about me. But just, just work with me for a minute, okay? Imagine it yet. So the police officer pulls me off and he says, well, I clocked you at 75 and at 55 and so I have to write you a ticket. And please understand that 20 miles over the speed limit constitutes careless and reckless driving, which means that there is a penalty 
And that penalty is a fine, and depending on your driver's record, you may lose your license. And I went, oh, oh, officer, wow, thank you so much for stopping me. Are you kidding me? 20 miles over the speed limit? Man, I'm a menace. I could have hurt somebody. You, you do your job so well, and I appreciate what you do so much. Man, I am so sorry that I did that. Thank you for letting me know. God bless you. Have a nice day. And I started to drive away. What would the cop say? Uh, uh, <clears throat> sorry, sir. Uh, I appreciate your apology. But the penalty for doing 20 miles over the speed limit is not, I'm sorry, the penalty is pay a fine and potentially lose your license. Oh, oh okay. I, I, I get that, but, but I, guess, <clears throat> I guess you don't recognize me. <sighs> I am the <clears throat> interim campus pastor of the Bridge Goldsboro. <sighs> and it's a really cool church that does an awful lot of good things for this community. And the officer might say, wow, yeah, I, I heard about that. In fact, I've thought about going to the bridge sometimes. I've heard really good things about that church. It's a really cool church. But the problem is that the penalty is not be a cool guy who goes to a cool church. The penalty is pay a fine and potentially lose your license. Okay, okay, I can't get it, but I, I get it. But I, re I really need to keep my license. So I tell you what I'll do. I will, I will pick up trash every Saturday for the next three months from here to the church and back. Every Saturday for the next three months, I'll just pick up all the trash along the side of the road. And the officer might, might say, wow, that's, that's good. That's really neat. Because I see some trash now, man. It would be really nice of you to do that. But you want to finish the sentence or do you want me to? The penalty for doing 20 over the speed limit is not do good deeds. The penalty is pay a fine and potentially lose your license. Are you getting the message yet? The wages we have earned for our sinfulness is death. We've earned death. And so when you're standing at the gate in the final day, and the Father says to you, why should I let you, an imperfect being, into my perfect place called heaven where you will mess it up? Please, I beg you, don't say, well, I did apologize for all the bad stuff I did. Please don't say, well, I did some good stuff, I did some bad stuff, but I think I did more good stuff than bad stuff. Well, I don't say, I, you know, I went to a really cool church and Pastor Jim was awesome. You can tell him that, but that's not going to help you get in. Because the problem is that the wages of sin is death. And we earned it. The answer to that question in that final day is key number three. I believe Jesus paid that penalty for me. I believe Jesus paid that penalty for me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ took away the curse that the law put on us. He changed places with us and put himself under that curse. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I have, a, I have a bachelor's degree in religious education, a master's degree in biblical studies, and, and it was just a few years ago that I finally figured out what that verse means. I mean, I would read it, and I would kind of uh, know, but it just didn't make any sense to me that he changed places with us and put himself under that curse. What curse? What what. What, what does that even mean? And I heard an illustration just a couple, three years ago 
that really kind of rocked my world and helped me to understand. Let me share it with you quickly. Maybe it'll help you too. Imagine with me that you're on trial for your life. You're guilty and you know it. You did it. And the evidence that you did it is insurmountable. So you know that the jury has heard all the evidence that makes that calls for a clear verdict. You've just gotten word that the jury is coming back from their deliberations, haven't been out very long. You know that's not a good sign. And so you're sitting in the defendant's chair. The jury is being seated. The judge has come back to the desk. Your family's sitting behind you. You can feel the tension in the room while you're waiting for the verdict. Everybody got the scene? Your head's like this. If you got the scene, you in the moment? The judge says, Madam Foreperson, have you reached a verdict? And she stands and says, we have, Your Honor. We find the defendant guilty as charged with egregious circumstances. Which is to say, we find him guilty with the death penalty attached. You know that's what it means. It's a surreal moment for you because you know in this moment, I'm, I'm going to die. You can feel your mother begin to sob behind you because you know in this moment that there's nothing you can do. Then you look back at the judge and you think, well, maybe, maybe the judge will be lenient. Maybe the judge will extend mercy. But the judge wraps his gavel and he says, the verdict stands as read. The only sentence allowable under the law is death. And so I sentence you to die. And you sink in your chair and you begin to sob yourself. Then the judge does something really strange. He wraps his gavel again. This time he says, court is adjourned. I have one more thing to do. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to go. I need to talk to you. And he looks directly at you, makes eye contact with you, and he says, I need to talk to you for just a moment. He said, as a judge, there's nothing I can do for you. I am honor-bound by my role as a judge to enforce the law, and the law says that this crime deserves the death penalty, and I have to exact it. There's nothing I can do. You did the crime. You earned the sentence. I'm honor bound. But then he gets up and he unzips his robe and he peels it off and he lays it across his bench. He said, there's nothing I can do as a judge, but as a man, there is something I can do and I have done it. I don't exactly know why. You certainly haven't earned it, but I like you. In fact, I love you. And, and here's what I've done. I have arranged to take your sentence on myself. You're free to go. And you sit there going, what, what did he just say? I'm, I'm free to go? He didn't say I'm free to go, did he? He actually, what do you mean you're going to take, well, I don't understand what you mean. And the judge gets up and he holds his hands out and he says, Bailiff, take me into custody Release the defendant, he's free to go. And it starts to dawn on you, I'm, I'm not going to die. I, I'm, I'm free. I'm actually going to walk out of this place a free man. I can't believe it. Why would he do that? I, I don't care why he did it. He did it. Oh, look, there, 
going to take him away now. And just as they're taking the judge out of the courtroom, he stops and he looks back at you. He says, this is my gift to you. But all I ask is that maybe as you live the life that I would have lived and I die the death that you've earned, maybe you'll think of me and the life choices that you make and maybe try to honor my name and the way you live from this point forward. That's all I ask. You're stunned into silence. It's too good to be true. But it's true. You get that, right? Can you, can you see that scene? Can you imagine that? As hard as it may be to believe, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He took off the robes of the glory that he was entitled to because he is God. And he put on the robes of humanity to serve us to take on our penalty, to take on our sentence, to pay for the death that we earned. But it's not just that simple. Most people don't have a clue the agony that he went through in doing that. It all started the night before he was crucified when he gathered his best friends, his disciples, for a final meal. And there he shared with them what we now celebrate as the communion service. After that, they went into a garden where he spent the night in an agonizing kind of prayer, so agonizing that, he, that his sweat became as drops of, of blood. Ultimately, he was betrayed by one of his own and arrested that night, which took him into a series of, tri of trials, illegal trials, every one of them illegal going through the entire night, three different trials. They walked him through that, bound and blindfold. During one of those trials, when he stood silently, a soldier would slap him and say, yeah, if you're really the Son of God, tell, tell me who hit you. And hear me, Jesus could have told him his name, could have told him his father's name, could have told him his sins, his father's sins. He just stood silently until finally they took him out and they pressed a crown of thorns, giant two-inch thorns that were pressed into his skull. They plucked his beards out. Before he ever got to the cross, they beat him with what's called a cat of nine tails. It's a, it's a whip with, with nine whips out of the end of it and little fragments of metal and broken glass tied to the ends of it and they would beat him and it would grab his flesh and they would snatch it back and it would tear the flesh off of his body before he ever got to the cross. After all night of those trials and after all of that beating, they finally took a rough-hewn cross and they laid it on his shoulders and said, carry that up on top of that mountain over there. He collapsed under the weight of it after a while and they made a local guy carry it for him because he just simply didn't have the energy to do it. And when they got to that hill called Golgotha, they laid him on that cross and they nailed him there. And I'm not talking about stainless steel, eight-penny nails. I'm talking about rough-hewn, iron-forged 
railroad spiked looking things that they drove through his hands and they drove through his feet then they lifted the cross high and dropped it into a hole with a thud and there he's suspended between heaven and earth in incredible agony he'd hang there for a while until the pain became so great that he would just slump under the load of the pain, but as he slumped there, his lungs would begin to fill with fluid. And so he'd press up on the nails that were driven through his feet. He'd press up to get a breath of air, and he'd breathe for just a moment or two, but then the pain would become so great in his feet that he would droop again, and he'd hang there suspended for hours up for air and down for relief from the pain. Until finally the shoulders, soldier said, it's time to, time to break his legs so we can go on to lunch. But the psalmist had prophesied 800 years before that no bones would be broken. So when they got to Jesus to break his legs, they said, ah, oh, he's already dead. We don't have to do that. And they just poked his side with a spear to see what would happen. And the Bible says that both blood and water gushed from his side. The medical community tells me that the only way that's possible is if his heart had literally burst open so that the blood that runs through the heart mixed with the fluids of the chest cavity. Jesus wasn't murdered by those people. They didn't take his life. He laid down his life. The Bible says he dismissed his spirit but hear me, guys, in that moment, he took on every sin of every man and every woman of every generation, past, present, and future. He took yours on and mine on in that moment. He took on every rape and every abusive word and every murder and every act of cheating and every act of gossip and every selfish act ever performed by every buddy in the world until his heart literally burst and he knew what was coming because in the garden right before he said father if there's any other way if there's any other way but whatever your will is father I'll do your will whatever it is I can almost hear Jesus saying to the Father, Father, is there any other way that Jim can be with us in eternity? Is there any other way that Bobby Ann can be with us in eternity? Is there any other way that Gage can be with us in eternity? Is there any other way? <coughs> and the Father said, no. Somebody did the crime. Somebody's got to do the time. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll take it. I'll take it on. Take me instead from the cross. He then said those words, it is finished. Not I am finished. No, 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 no. It is finished. It's a legal accounting term that means it's paid in full. The debt is paid in full. Hear me, guys. Our sins are paid for, and that's good news. Jesus paid our penalty, and that's good news. Can I get a, say, a celebration of some kind in the house? Because Jesus paid the penalty for my sin and for yours. 
Hear me. It was my sin that nailed him to the cross. It was your sin that nailed him to the cross. But because he did, we get to go free. We get a fresh start. We get a new life. We get all kinds of freedom. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life because of what Jesus did for us. All this left is for us to accept key four. What are the keys? Acknowledge our sin. Realize the penalty for our sin. Recognize that Jesus paid that penalty. And now accept what Jesus did for me. 1 Corinthians chapter seven, 5, verse 17. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Anyone. Who's anyone? Say me. Me. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten, and everything is new. What does everything include? It includes everything. And that's the message of Easter. Because of what Jesus did for us that day, we get to start again. We get a fresh start. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how many fresh starts you've taken advantage of. We don't serve the God of the second chance. We serve the God of the 90-second chance, if that's what you need. Because of what Jesus has done for us, you get a clean slate. Not because you earned it. You didn't. We've already established what we earned. It's God's free gift of grace to you. Free, not cheap. Jesus paid for it. But it was a price he was willing to pay. But you have to accept it to benefit from it. Let me say that again. You have to accept it to benefit from it. I was working with a man many years ago as a young Christian. I worked for him in his store. His wife was a committed Christian, but he was far from God and had a crust over his heart that was very difficult to penetrate. And I was talking with him one day about this, and, and he said, I didn't ask Jesus to die for me. And I finally said to him, well, Herbert, I understand you didn't, but he did. And so the only question really that's left, is one person going to die for your sins or are two? Jesus already has. You don't have to. And that's what we have to decide. Will I accept what Jesus did or will I receive the penalty of my own sin? Here's all you got to do. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. We believe with our hearts, and so we're made right with God, and we declare with our mouths that we believe, so we are saved. Simple, right? Two simple things. Believe and confess. Believe it in your heart. Say it with your mouth. That's it. Anybody here, you can sit real still so nobody will know. Anybody here need a fresh start? Need a fresh start in your own sense of self-worth? A fresh start in your marriage? A fresh start in your parenting relationships? A fresh start in your financial life? A fresh start in any area of your life? Anybody here need a fresh start? That's the message of Easter, and it's available to you. In fact, I want you to bow with me now. Nobody's going to look around. I'm not going to keep you much longer. Just very briefly, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody move, nobody leave for this next couple of minutes. Because I believe eternity hangs in the balance. 
In the quietness of this moment, I'm going to ask you to say a prayer with me. I'm going to call it a prayer for new life, fresh start, new beginnings. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before in your life. Maybe you've prayed it before, but you kind of backburnered your relationship with God, and you've come back on Easter Sunday, and here's a chance to reflect. But wherever you are in your spiritual journey, would you pray this simple prayer with me? Pray it silently, pray it loud, I don't care. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me while I was ignoring you and running from you and giving in to my own selfishness. Forgive me for my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid for my sin. And I accept your free offer of life. I need new life. I need a new fresh start. I accept it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their minds right now and their thoughts right now. You know who's hearing Holy Spirit as you speak to them. I pray simply that you would give them a quiet assurance right here, right now, that something amazing just started, maybe a tiny thing, maybe just a spark, maybe just a candle has been lit, but something has just begun that we'll look back on one day and say Easter 2017 was my fresh start in life. My new life began. And I thank you for the way that happens over and over and over again and for the way it's happening in hundreds and thousands of lives in churches across this land today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I can say to you by the authority of God's Word, you get a fresh start. You get a new life. It's it. But there is one more dynamic to it. Remember, he said, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So we want to give you a chance to do that in a 21st century kind of way. If you've got a smartphone, text new life to 72345. Would you do that? You can do it right now. You can do it this afternoon, that card with the sermon series. It's got that number on it. You can text us this afternoon. But let us know because we want to pray for you. And yeah, we'll give you a call and say, hey, how, how can we be praying for you? But, but let us know that you prayed that prayer this morning. It's important that we not just believe in our hearts, but that we confess with our mouths. So take it to the next level. If you're not a smartphone kind of person, you don't use the technology, then take a connect card and just put your name on it and, and write new life on that card. Give it to the usher on the way out this morning. Let us know. We want to know that you prayed that prayer so we can pray with you and agree with you for that new life, okay? Stand with me. Praise team is back. We're going to close in a word of a song and, and uh, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. The prayer team is going to be down front. You want to pray with somebody today before you leave? Take advantage of that opportunity. God bless you. Thank you for being at the bridge on Easter Sunday.